Welcome to another episode of Added Time. We are calling it the different ISL review this time around. Of course, we're joined in by Brad Reddy, uh, who's now an expert commentator on the Indian Super Panel for Star Sports. Of course, a renowned coach in the Indian circles. He's formerly been associated with Lejong, uh, Bengaluru FC, and Pune City. Uh, Brad, welcome to the show once again. Thank you, Nikhil. Looking forward to it. So, you know, we've been speaking about it. How's it been in the bubble? You've been in the bubble for good part of a fortnight now? Yeah, just finished the 14 days. So, got a little bit of a an understanding of what the players must have been going through and, um, you know, how it actually helps having your colleagues in the rooms next to you and how it kind of just forces you to knuckle down and get to work. So, I've done a lot of research on the squads and expected mm-hmm. formations and a, and a lot of this and a lot of chats with people like yourself and others in the game who are eagerly anticipating mm-hmm. the start of the season. So it's an eye-opener. And if, if we... But talk about, you know, if the bubble isn't easy, you know, you, of course, being more regimented with your work and all the other commentators, etc., would have done a lot of homework, would have given them a lot of opportunity. But, you know, would this be easy for a lot of players? Of course, they're professionals. They have to go through it. You know, but there's barely much to do, barring the television, a little bit of fitness. Of course, yeah, they go I mean, for training and recovery. Well, that's the thing. In the initial 14 days, they wouldn't have had any training or recovery. And, you know, I spoke to a lot of the players and staff from other clubs. And, you know, everyone's suggestion was, oh, make sure you've got a lot of movies or there's Netflix, et cetera, et cetera. And although having been in the coaching circuit for the last couple of years and done enough hotels and away trips and all these kind of things... I just realized you have to obviously keep yourself mentally stimulated. And I think the teams that have probably tackled that issue are probably already a step ahead in terms of their preseason. Little, little things like, I mean, I've seen some of the pictures of some of the teams. Um, like One of them from ATK comes to mind where one of the players, you know, they've got them in bungalows as opposed to in rooms down a corridor in a hotel. So the choice of hotels makes a difference. The players can actually, you know, step out of their room, have a little... You know, they're barefoot on the grass. Even if they can't go anywhere for 14 days, they've got a TRX mm-hmm. machine um, outside their, you know, on their wall or they've got an exercise bike. I've seen some of the Mumbai city lads having exercise bikes, stationary ones, obviously, outside of their rooms. And some of them have weights, etc. So the players could still train and do some individual training, even though they were in that 14-day quarantine. So I think the clubs have been a little bit clever in terms of their planning in that way have definitely, you know, a little advantage there. And I think some have been doing some Zoom classes where they've done some strength and conditioning, core work and all these kind of things where not only is it necessary in preseason, but I think just having all the lads on a Zoom call at a certain time of the day just gets people into sort of a habit that this is when we're going to do this and a little bit of camaraderie as well, especially for new players who are joining Mm -hmm. the squad. Because there's been a lot of squad movement. We'll touch upon that in a minute, but I think yeah. Like the squad, the squads like a FC Goa or a BFC or ATK Mohan Bagan, where a lot of the players have been together for at least a season. So that obviously gives you an advantage in times like this where you're locked up. But there's at least some banter between teammates. <laughs> that brings me to my you know, next question, Brad. Why have there been only three winners in the six editions of, of the Indian Super League? Why have teams such as Chennai, Goa, Bengaluru or ATK made it to the top four more often than not? Is there a secret to it? Is there, you know, is there something to it that makes these teams you know, more special given the fact that it's not like anywhere else 
in the world. You, so you're not competing more or less on money. It's not that you know cities, uh, Man, Man City's built a squad that uh, say Southampton could never kind of match here. And more or less, most most teams have the same kind of budgets. Why do most you know why why have there been only three winners and more or less four or five teams making it to the top four more often than not? Well, I think there's a little bit of the sort of general rule of football where the ones that spend the most are more successful. I think there's a little bit of that in the ISL over the years. I think I think if you if you analyze the last six seasons or seven seasons, including this one, I think ATK mm-hmm. have consistently been one of the higher spenders over the years. And mm-hmm. that's obviously given them more success than some of the other in the first six seasons. And now under the new avatar of ATK Mohan Bagan, they continue to be sort of there or thereabouts as as one of the big spenders. And I think BFC in the first season, they did obviously partly in the, in the draft with their retentions, what they had. So that kind of got them around some of the spending. They've, they've definitely always been there. And it's spending's not always measured in just spending on first team players and squad. It's spending on the entire club setup and what you invest in. So I think there's a little bit of that. I think but the more important factor that Toppy touched upon there is if you look at any successful business, I think it's you look at them and it's the ones that have run well, you know, they're mm-hmm. built to last, as they say, to quote quotes sort of famous book. And I think it's a way with football clubs as well. There are certain clubs where you've got more chance of succeeding just because the overall club is well run. And mm-hmm. I think if you look at FC Goa, it's definitely a very well run club. I think Bengaluru FC has proven that both in the I League and the ISL that it's a very well run club. And ATK to a large extent as well. So, and Chennaians. So, if you go into these clubs as a coach, as a player, you don't have to worry about certain other things which you might have to worry about at other clubs. There are certain constants at those clubs. And it may, it may be simple things like it's the same staff that have been there for five or six years, the same kit man, the same uh, media manager. So, there's a consistency in, in the club and the culture of the club. And they have culture in their club. And then it could be also in the management and you know, just consistency in management in the weather. You know, you've had a good season and you've had a bad season. Obviously, both Chennai and ATK have seen the past. Both have had good seasons and equally poor seasons as well, especially relative to their success. But I think maybe the management hasn't reacted in ways and chopped and changed where you would have seen that some of the other clubs. So I think that consistency definitely helps breed a kind of winning mentality and a, st- a stability and stable culture of the club. And that's, that definitely helps coaches who are coming in and players who are coming into that environment. Yeah, you know, teams like Chennai, you know, they've had really bad seasons. But what, what you kind of appreciate about what happens there is that there's very little movement in terms of, you know, let's change, let's change everything. So Absolutely. the management stays fairly still and calm and, you know, takes everything in their stride. They always retain you know, a, a good set of Indian uh, players, the core that uh, we might call. They're always, the first preference is who can we retain? It looks like that from the outside. I'm, I'm not I'm not sure. Absolutely. Uh, yes, it, it obviously shows that there's a bit of a long-term thinking. It's not reactionary. It's not sort of a knee-jerk, okay, we had a bad season this year, let's completely change the entire squad. It's, there's a, you know, longer, there's a short, you can definitely see there's a medium term plan at that club. Frank, tell me this, you know, in your experience as a coach, as, as somebody who's worked in uh, competitive teams for so long, you know, are, 
are leagues like this only about the squad? Is it, you know, what are the factors that teams, uh, you know, what, that goes into the success of a team, uh, especially in the Indian context? And I ask because, you know, is it only about putting 35 players or a squad of, you know, 22 plus 4, 26, as they say, to train plus 35 on the roster there? And that is what, have a good coach, bring him in, you know, he trains and then, and then it's up to it's up to that bunch of people to kind of see, you know, what happens in that season. The reason I say this, and a lot of times I felt when you know I was on the other side of of the sport, is it's equally important for you know for for management to feel the pulse of the club as well. Maybe a bit more aggressive, maybe you know, maybe a bit more calm in certain situations, uh, looking after things in a way that. Possibly we might or we might not have done. So how important is it just that fact of a squad, you know, about those players? Because that's where most of the attention goes. Yeah, well, I think, uh, see, it's not just the recruitment. There's obviously that key, key factor in, in how it, your season pans out. And you can also, you know, look at it and see, look at teams who are successful. They've got certain things right in their recruitment. But... As you said earlier, I mean, a lot of teams spend the same amounts of money. A lot of teams get similar kind of players. And some teams have actually picked up players who were successful at another club, yet mm-hmm. don't manage to get that success at the new club sometimes. And it could be some, you know, some simple things. Like I give an example, some, some of the better run clubs in this country. If a foreign player is coming in, the foreign player could be shown, look, this is where you're going to be staying. This is the kind of accommodation we have. These are the apartments. And if you want to bring your wife and kid, this is where they can stay these are the schools etc etc and you look at it in the years that two years ago when bfc were very successful got the finals and the next year where they won it you look to the likes of albert sarani was here his wife and kids were here they were going to a school in bengaluru Juanan's kids and everyone it was almost like you know, the spanish contingent didn't feel that you know, it, it was a sort of you didn't have that them worrying about what's happening back home and etc so they could come here and focus on their job finish training and go back and have the normal lifestyle that they would expect to have as a, as a professional player. And similar, and it was exactly the same for the Indians. Cabra's kid was in school in Bangalore and, you know, the list is endless. And I think you could see that with Chennaians a few seasons ago where, whether it was with Goyan or others with Saran and other players. And I think when you can build that kind of environment around the club, it helps in your recruitment, obviously, because then when players speak, players want to come and join such clubs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you land immediately, you don't have to worry about, oh, is my visa going to be a nightmare? Is my, when I land there, am I going to get picked up? Is it a SIM card, etc.? And, you know, I'm not going to go into some of the other clubs where probably players felt that they didn't get this. And as the season prolongs, goes on, sorry, people start, players start speaking to one another. Spanish players will speak to one another from other clubs. And, you know, you start comparing notes and thinking, oh, your club does this for you. Wow, your club does this. That's mm-hmm. one of the factors, obviously. The other things like consistency in where you train. If you know, right, preseason is going to be at this location. We'll do our testing here. And then we, you know, as in the past, a lot of teams used to go to Spain or then later Thailand became an op- uh, a popular. If there's a consistency or a clear plan in what's going to happen and players know this, they can plan ahead as well. Okay, I'll bring my kids around the Christmas break then or I'll, Oh, good. We're going to be back in Spain. I don't have to bring all my stuff over here. I'll bring it in. Whatever. You can plan ahead knowing what exactly is going to happen. Whereas we've seen some other clubs, you know, the other end of the spectrum where it's until the last minute, they don't know where their preseason is. As a coaching staff, you don't know who your preseason games are against or when they are. 
So you can't plan mm-hmm. your periodization or your calendar properly because the preseason games are kind of ad hoc. It's almost like the agent who's arranged the preseason tour is also arranging your friendly matches. So he does mm-hmm. it whenever the opposition is available, as opposed to when the coach would like to structure his preseason matches. So those factors obviously can have a huge impact. I mean, if you mess things up in preseason, simple things like don't get enough games or get the games at the wrong time, get the wrong mm-hmm. strength of opposition, that can have an adverse effect in preseason. And then that sort of just lingers on throughout the season. And sometimes it gives the players, sometimes it gives the coaches an excuse almost. You can turn around and blame the management for that. So I think the clubs that are well have got their planning well well in motion even before you know the first day of preseason even starts. They obviously have an upper hand immediately because they haven't got that sort of negativity that lingers sometimes from preseason, and they've also just they can hit the ground running as and coaches and players can focus on what they need to do as opposed to worry about you know all these little things which the club really should be taking care of. Interesting. This isn't a regular season, though, you know, and the, it's it's a strange one where every team is now in Goa. They have three venues. Uh, quite a few of them would be playing as home venue at one one venue. The first thing that that comes to mind during the previous seasons of the the ISL injuries play a big role in in the league. This time, though, players haven't really played for seven months almost between you know games and games. Though, however, there won't be as much travel this time around. Travel really kills uh, players and their recovery post-game, especially if you're if you're from, let's say, you're, you're Northeast United or you're Odisha or you're Jamshedpur. It's easier for the for the for the teams in the in the southern peninsula to travel around. But some of the teams from you know maybe an Odisha or a or a Jamshedpur or a Northeast United sometimes can spend over a day traveling back to to where they come from. How do you how do you see that panning out? In this season, injuries especially. Well, I think definitely. I mean, injuries are going to be an issue, and they always are an issue in um, in the season. And that's what you know. Bring continuity to the earlier point about having a good preseason. I think if you look at everyone hasn't started their preseasons at the same time, so mm-hmm. you can see. And because of the whole unusual circumstance we've had, where there's quarantine, certain countries' visas were a little bit late. You've had players come in different times, which is not ideal. You want in an ideal situation, you want all your players in around the same start date so that everyone is on, you know, let's say week one of your preseason, everyone's then later at week two. Whereas now you're getting, your Indian players might be on their week three of preseason in terms of te- technical and tactical, and, you know, in terms of your periodization where you are. And then you suddenly got one player joining in into that mix in week three. And then two weeks later, another player joining on or 10 days later. So there's a lot of, it becomes very disjointed and then there's, that increases the likelihood of injury. Um, getting to the point about travel, certainly it should be an advantage of teams like Jamshedpur this year because that was always the excuse that everyone would give them, saying, "Ah, oh, you know, they've been unlucky. They were there, thereabouts." You know, they've almost become like our fifth place team in the ISL. And you always say that's the toughest journey. And everyone, when you get the fixtures out, it's the one you want to think, "Oh, hopefully it's when we already play Calcutta, and then we go next to." Jamshedpur, or hopefully we go to Jamshedpur after Guwahati because you're already in that part of the country. You know, you're mm-hmm. in, you can do the Calcutta and take the train down. You have the option. Um, the last thing you want is you don't want Kerala away and then Jamshedpur away as your next fixture. So, but Jamshedpur had to do that for every away game. They had to have that travel. So I think they'll be relishing the fact that they don't have to do that 
but at the same time, you know, it's to use a sort of economics term, it's you know, Cetra's power was everything else is equal. Everything, the grounds are the same. Everyone's got the same mm-hmm. uh, home grounds. Everyone's playing on the same grounds. Everyone's playing at the same kind of tra- training venues. So it's it's a real leveler this season in terms of. Normally, you never get this in football. There's always some other factors. This time, you can actually say, well, everything's pretty much level. You know, the budgets are pretty much around the same. Everyone's in Goa. There's no, okay, they're training in warmer weather. We've had rains, et cetera, et cetera. It's been exactly the same. Just the little things have been when teams have started their preseason. And I think the ones who've got a better foundation into their players, like the likes of Bengaluru and Kerala, who started early. And to an extent, I think even Hyderabad, one of the early starters. and Mm-hmm. ATK have been together. A lot of them came in at the same time. A lot of their foreign players came in at the same time. So I think those clubs have an advantage in terms of the injury management and Goa, sorry, where they should have a good foundation into their players. So in theory, they should be less likely to get soft tissue injuries early on in the season. How important are the physios and the sports scientists and the other staff members? We'd come to the coaches later on. But, you know, one of the things that gets overlooked quite often is the support staff. You know, your goalkeeping coaches, your assistant coaches, your masters. They work round the clock ensuring that the coach has maximum number of players available. You know, have you had uh, any experiences personally wherein you thought, you know, the support staff is basically putting every member of the squad up on the ground? I think this season, I joked with with somebody about this recently um, and I said, it might not be the best coach that wins the the ISL this season. It could be the team that has the best physiotherapy or the best backroom staff because there's a lot of unusual... And then I'll, I'll explain why. There's a lot of unusual circumstances because of the whole bubble. For example, there's a player at one of the clubs and he had a slight calf strain, which is quite common in preseason in the first few weeks because, and even more so now because players have been inactive for almost seven or eight months. So the first few days on soft, spongy, sandy ground where you're doing a little bit of running, you might feel a little twinge here and there. So in the past, you feel a little twinge just to play safe. You'd say, okay, let's just go get a scan on that. You'd get a scan, player comes back and you say, okay, it's nothing. We'll just do a little bit of this. And then the physio knows how many days before you can sort of return to training or what is mode of, you know, work needs to be with that particular player. The difference now, though, is the moment you opt to go for a scan with the player, he then has to leave the bubble to go get the scan. So then mm-hmm. when he comes back in, he's automatically in a 10-day isolation where he's detraining effectively because if he's not at one of those hotels and where, or the clubs where they've got something in his room or in his balcony where he can do some kind of cardio training, his body's actually going to start detraining. Then 10 days after he's done that and had his two tests where he's negative, he comes back to training for four days of isolated training. So he still can't train with his teammates. So from a precautionary scan where, it, let's say, in pre-COVID times, it might have been precautionary scan, nothing, two days, a little bit of treatment and a little bit of isolated work, then he returns to training with the team. Now, all of a sudden, the player's out for 14 days and he's not training with the team. That is a huge impact. Not only does it obviously impact that individual player who can't even get physiotherapy treatment in those first 10 days, because he's gone for the scan, he's now in a bubble, so he doesn't have access to the physiotherapist. So if you gave him access to the physio, then that physio would not have access to the rest of the team. So there's a little bit of, you know, some tricky little juggling that has to happen in terms of, you know, if you have more physios, obviously, then you can deal with these kind of issues. The next thing that that could lead to is 
Yeah, it could be where the coach then maybe putting pressure on the physiotherapy and the sports science department says, you know, we're going to rely on your eyes and your touch and feel and your experience to make a judgment call on the severity of this injury um, as opposed to going. And, you know, that puts a little bit of pressure on the physios to get things right. Or it also could flip the other way where players then choose to either hide injuries from the coach or from the, from the medical staff because they don't want to risk both from a, I don't want to be stuck in my room again for two weeks to mm-hmm. I don't want to lose my starting spot to somebody else. And especially, I think the younger players who are coming into it, if they're doing well, they're flying in preseason, they've you know, maybe got an assist or been in the starting lineup a couple of times. They may think, listen, I can probably just you know, grin and bear this pain and get through this uh, for the next few few days because I don't want to lose my spot. So there could be a couple of these kind of unforeseen scenarios, which I didn't think any of us have experienced. So it's tough to sort of guess how this will go ahead. So that that's a sort of little unknown. And obviously the one, the big one, which everyone's worried about is if anybody tests positive inside the bubble and then how that impacts um, the teams. Because we've seen it globally with how, you know, even at the top Premier League teams where players have um, come down with it and how they've dealt with it. Obviously, it's a different situation here because everyone's in a bubble. But, mm-hmm. you know, that could also have an impact. I think we're hearing that Northeast have had a couple of players there's, there's a certain definite injuries as well as illnesses which can arise. And it's not just an injury. Even an illness, you might have to go outside of the bubble to get treatment. True. Interesting times. And, you know, things with, even with testing protocols, for example, tomorrow you get to find out that, you know, those two cases that are reported, uh, reported at Northeast mm-hmm. United, you know, aren't really positive cases. They would have lost a lot of time and, you know, maybe those players would now have to give... Uh, do they have to return two negative tests to be able to rejoin training? I think that's what the protocol is. It's two negative tests before you can resume training with the remainder of the squad. And I think so if they've tested positive, you actually come out of that hotel and go into an isolation hotel, which is a separate hotel. Well, so basically, you know, we're looking at 10, 14, 20 days that those players have lost. But having said that, you know, I think it's it's the best for the for the league. It's it's unprecedented the kind of work that the ISL has done into putting this out. It's unimaginable in, you know, it's practically for all purposes, the biggest event that's going to be held in India ever since the pandemic took place. So kudos to them for that. Coming to the coaches now, Prad, there have been a lot of changes. We've seen, what is it, about nine or eight teams with new coaches if we count, you know, Robbie Fowler coming in at East Bengal. That's that's nine of them. Only two of them, which is Havas and Quadrat at Bengaluru FC. Uh, are the retained coaches, almost everybody else is going to be new. Some of them, of course, like Sergio Lubera and uh, the Jamshedpur FC, Ovin Coyle. Coyle yeah. Yes, he stays back. It's just a change in teams, but the rest of them are all new. And it does take a little bit of time to understand the league. You know, it's just the league, the standard, where the games are heading. How do you see that playing out? Well, I mean, I think it's it's very interesting to see that only... Two clubs have um, retained their, their coaches. It's almost, it again, goes back to what we were saying earlier about how a lot of clubs panic when they haven't had a successful season and then opt to make changes. Obviously, the new club, which is ATK Mohan Bagan, have opted to keep Habas from last year to have a little bit, you know, because a lot of the same players are part of this new club. And Bengaluru FC, consistent, Carlos was always going to stay there, even probably their most disappointing season they've had to date. Other two semi-finalists, I mean, Chennai would have wanted to retain 
Owen Coyle, but I think he had a better offer and a two-year contract. Probably had a bigger budget to spend. And it was a rebuilding program that's going on at Jamshed, but I think that might have tempted him. And Sergio Libero, as we all know, was coached, you could say, by the City Group. Um, and, or, you know, he was let go of by FC Goa to the end of the season. But not only have they got him, they've got a lot of his key players as well from FC Goa. So, in a way, it's not a completely new club for him. He's mm-hmm. got a lot of his players. You know, he's almost got five of his starters from FC Goa with him there. So, I think he's got a little bit of continuity in, in those terms. And even... I think Owen Cole's taken two players, Valskis and one other with him to, I think Dindian has joined him, if I'm not mistaken, at Jamshedpur. Uh, so there's, there's a little bit of movement, which is good to see. I mean, that's always nice to see in the league where clubs are trying to entice coaches from one club to another and players as well. But it definitely makes makes the form more interesting and a little bit of you know tension in pre-season. There's been some great banter between um, Mumbai City social media and FC Goers in pre-season. <laughs> so I think it's, it's been one of those exciting pre-seasons in ter- or off-seasons in terms of terms of it because of that little bit of banter on um, between the clubs of, on social media and with a little competition for signing players. So I think that's um, it all bodes well for the league and, and, and for the fans too. It's interesting with the number of uh, Spanish coaches that we have and then of course a couple of Scottish ones there. Saba Laszlo and uh, Robbie Fowler yes. being, being the odd man out there really uh, between Spanish and, and Scottish coaches. So the Indian Super but There's league, only one there's only one is Owen Coyle, Stuart Baxter. Yeah, and Baxter. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So, so I think we got you know you got you got three British coaches and obviously Chabo Laszlo has come in. That's a, another different nationality, a new new one. So we've got four non-Spanish out of the eleven, if I'm not mistaken. And I think that it, it's good because stylistically it gives us something a little bit different. Um, I've heard some fantastic things from Stuart ba- about Stuart Baxter from someone that we both know quite well. Um, played for Wellington Phoenix way back mm-hmm. in the day. Um, the lad Jeremy Brocky, who's been playing in South Africa since many years. And I was chatting to him a few months back and he said Baxter was one of the best coaches he's ever worked with. That's high praise from someone who I regard as, uh, you know, as a good strike and a well-traveled one. You know, he was at Wellington Phoenix, played in the MLS and been in South Africa for a while. So somebody knows his football mm-hmm. and international too. And so I'm expecting a lot of things from Baxter Atudisha because I think they've given him a good squad in terms of good young Indian players, promising young Indian players. And they've mixed it up quite well with some astute signings in the market. I think retaining Onwu was was key, especially having, say, having lost Aridane. And, you know, I think Marcelino could be a shrewd signing. And, you know, he's not going to be the sort of number 10 like Chisco was for them in terms of creating assists, etc. But, what he will give them is match-winning contributions. I mean, he he does have he still has a phenomenal goals to games ratio, and I think you can't you can't argue with that. And I think the you know all the focus always is on attacking players, and you know this player is going to be Lafondre or Beche, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Everyone's talking about Cooper, Pilkington, all these attacking players that have come in, but I think Stephen Taylor at um, Odisha is an absolutely massive signing, not just in terms of. Obviously, playing pedigree, having played for Newcastle in the Premier League and what he's done in the game. But I think what he'll bring to that dressing room, his leadership capabilities, I mean, he could be like an Aaron Hughes type character for them that helps them just get that push across into the into the playoffs. It's incredible. Some of these times, you know, when you look at players and people see what have the players done on the field, it's equally important to see 
mentality as well a lot of players that i've kind of you know always admired and looked at is are, are the players who win championships who win titles who win and it's it's a funny one prad you know it's not necessarily the best of them always win titles it's you know good teams which might have one or two exceptional players and the rest of them you know are, are your are your players who give you 7 out of 8 out of 10 every game but not not the legends and those those are really important players how do you look at the players that all these squads have had now and what do you feel about them well i think this the recruitment's been really thorough this season if you look at the players that have come in obviously you know from, from a simplistic point of view you can say the last two title winning teams have had you know an important australian player you know playing a role for them mm-hmm. um, in the team with um, you know Eric Parthalou for Bengaluru FC two seasons ago and last season the the players that they came from the Australian league the likes of uh, David Williams and Roy Krishna and obviously even Dimas came to Bengaluru from the A league too. I right. think that's probably had an impact where clubs have suddenly started to open their eyes and think hang on maybe we should be looking in this direction and not just at you know Segunda and Tercera and starting to pick up some really really crucial players in positions where you know these are proven match winners and these guys will bring that i think that sort of toughness that some of the younger lads might need both in terms of in training and in in the dressing room and that competitive environment so even though some of the teams like sc east bengal put together their team quite late if you look at some of the signings and and the fact that they've all some of them have played together or some of them have worked with a coach together in the past you've got to factor that in in some way i mean how you measure that is difficult you quantify it but there's a certain you know that personality that never say die attitude which some of these players have from from the leagues where they've played from the titles that they've gone for from the promotions that they might have gone through is is something that you can't really sort of put a value on but mm-hmm. that's definitely going to have a knock on effect on the on the young indian lads from those squads and their teammates or even the more experienced um, indian lads and teammates because it, you just can't drop your standards in training and on match days because you know it's not just the coach you've got some of your own teammates who are going to be giving you you know gene you on and giving you that little extra push or or a kick up the backside if if it be and i i saw you put a graphic of retentions both indian and foreign up on on twitter was it interesting yeah. one what what what's that that all about what you know talk us through what's the line of thought there well i think you know the more if you make wholesale changes every year you you basically not only have you got to then change everyone's understanding of how the team is going to play if you've got because that's just one one aspect of it i mean obviously like i think the top three teams there were the likes of chennai and bengaluru and um i think habas retained a lot of his players too so when they come into pre-season players know the mentality know what um what's the coach expecting how to work that's one aspect and the second i think because of this unusual times that we're in with with the pandemic i think if you're coming back and you're seeing 10 15 familiar faces it also automatically just gives you a little bit of a, a nicer feeling in pre-season than if you're seeing a lot of new faces then there's a lot of that sort of competition for is he here to take my spot if it's a player who's been there a lot of new players trying to prove themselves a little bit harder there could be some you know tackles flying in a little bit harder because people are trying to prove if it's a new coach who hasn't seen them and he's new to india then everyone might be just trying a little bit too hard in the first two weeks of pre-season to try and imp- catch his attention and you know that could be where the injuries happen or someone tweaks something by just going too hard and funnily enough what's happened in a way is because the coaches of some of them have had their like i think Stuart Baxter Chavo Laszlo and a couple of others got their visas quite late they probably didn't see the first two or three weeks of preseason of their teams mm-hmm. they were being taken by 
you know, the assistant coaches, in some cases, the, the Indian assistant coach. So if there's a lot of new faces there, again, that would be, you know, how do you build some team building into it with the new faces? Do they know what, you know, were they responsible for recruiting these players? So will they know them? Will they know their attributes, where to play them? Have they already pigeonholed them for a different position as to where, you know, the, the new the head coach might choose to play them? So there's all these little factors where you would say teams who've retained more players probably have a little bit of advantage there because there's less uncertainties, less unknowns in that department. Did you also say that foreigners who are already part of the league uh, get counted as retentions rather than, you know, even if they've changed clubs, so the likes of Jahu and Bumu, they, they get counted as retentions? Yeah, I'll put that, I think I put the second graphic up where I said there's, if you count um, the foreign players, I think the first graphic was just Indian players who were retained and the second one was foreign players that were retained where and I and, you know included the ones that had stayed in the league because I think there's a little bit of adjustment that happened with you know obviously like for example like Valskis no doubt top good striker finished top scorer last year but he didn't exactly hit the ground running at the start of the season whereas if you look at how Opeche scored at Kerala Blasters you know maybe it was because he knew the league well he knew certain attributes of defenders from his time at Northeast United so mm-hmm. the likes of Koro went from strength to strength from season to season I think when you're coming back, you cert- you know certain attributes of defenders. If you're playing against a certain team, you might think, okay, I'll play on the shoulder of this defender because I know his strengths, his weaknesses, etc. So mm-hmm. you definitely have a little bit of an advantage if you're a returning foreign player in on the field, especially. And certainly in the off-field, certain things, you, you know what to expect. You know you're not going to be coming here thinking, okay, it's my first time in India. There's certain things. How do I adjust to this? How do I deal with that? In the past, it could have been the travel, the food, etc. Now, obviously, the travel is taken away, but it's, you know, you're comfortable in your own surroundings knowing what to expect. Uh, whereas some of the other players, you know, they might have to rely on some of their teammates, maybe may or may not be from the same country as them, where they can help you know, ease that, ease them into the, the league and get, get them a better idea of it. So I think that's, that's also an advantage to teams who have players who've played here before. Looking at some of the, you know, the Indian players here, and I remember, I think you said this while you were in Pune City, and you said, it doesn't matter if you're young or old, we can win with young players as well. Is that really true, Prad? You know, when I look at uh, look at squad compositions, the Indian Super League is getting younger and younger. You see a lot of younger players, uh, and the clubs, to their credit, want to put together squads that have a lower average age than possibly, you know, three seasons back or four seasons back with an exception of a couple of teams. The rest of them have fairly younger squads. But one of the reasons I felt, you know, during my time with with the club is that there is a certain intensity and problem-solving ability during tough times, most often than not, that comes with experience. A lot of these younger boys, while they're brilliant at playing and, you know, they could really uh, hit the ground running uh, in good times, it's the tough times that kind of bring the best out of experience. How do you... see the squads of various teams. I mean, some of the squads like Goa, Kerala Blasters, Orisha, they seem to be very, very young. Absolutely. I think if you probably have on the two ends of the spectrum, I mean, you've got the likes of uh, FC Goa, Orisha, who probably have some of the youngest Indian players, average age, and the likes of East Beng- uh, FC East Bengal, who probably have <laughs> some of the oldest Indian players in their squad. But I think FC East Bengal's Indian players are highly experienced in terms of like, not just caps in the ISL, but also caps in national team level. So that definitely holds hold them in good stead in sort of game management, and you can see how that'll help them in the as you said in tough times. Mm-hmm. And I completely agree with what you said about the young players, and you know how the 
what they lack in experience, they get, they make up in effort and intensity and aggression, but that's not always what you need. So I think the ideal balance, to get back to sort of the statement that I made when I was, while I was at Pune, is in the best case scenario, you want young players, but young players with experience. And, mm-hmm. you know, this is almost like it's a catch-22. How do you get them experience if, if you don't play them and you can't risk playing them because they don't have that experience? So okay. I think the, ba- the balance there is clubs who've had a longer-term vision and strategy where you've had good young players and you've opted to loan them out to, let's say, an I-League club. And I'll give you examples. Like, you see the likes of Agaro Bora, who was at Pune's academy. Mm-hmm. Instead of just putting him in the ISL squad and then letting him train with the senior pros and just train, 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 play practice matches and never, realistically, was never going to play at centre-back ahead of Rafa Lopez. Mm-hmm. But by loaning him out to a Chennai City FC, he's gone through a title-winning run. He's played for Chennai and he, he won the league with them, scored the winning goals in the final, last game for them. And then he comes into an um, Odisha setup where he'll have a lot better, he'll be ready for that level of play now by, by having gone through that. So although in terms of ISL games, he might not have the experience, but he's got, to use a different phrase, he's got mileage in his legs. He's got football mileage. He's played he's played games. And, you know, there's another kid, Moirang, who scored recently for Bengaluru in their, one of their preseason games, who was loaned out Hyderabad again. Hyderabad, yeah. And he was loaned out to Gokulam, if I'm not mistaken. Gokulam, yes. he played over there. So I think, and I think BFC did it with Edmund last year, was loaned out to East Bengal. And mm-hmm. so you see, there are a lot of young players out there who actually have some you know minutes valuable minutes under their under their belt whether it's a, you know with the arrows in the i league or on loan to other i league clubs or or to the second division um you know even like for example i think mumbai picked up the keeper um football lachenpa mm-hmm. and he he played a lot of games for real kashmir he's played for lajong so even though he's a young keeper who's hasn't played a single game, if I'm, not, if I'm correct, in the ISL. If something were to happen to Amrinder in the season, this wouldn't be the first time this guy's gone under the sticks in a competitive match. So that's the kind of players, I think, where clubs are now targeting. They want young players, but young players who, you know, bit of bit of proven pedigree at senior level, rather than just getting, you know, stacking your team with academy graduates. How do you see the table panning out? That'd be a tough one, though. You know, it's too early. People haven't played 90 minutes of football in a long time. Even the, the practice games, predominantly, coaches have rotated their squads. I think maximum yeah. that a player would more often than not get is 60 minutes. Uh, I've mm-hmm. heard of coaches running 30-minute slots as well. But top four, do you, do, you have, do you have an inkling of who we would see uh, in the top four? It's a tough one. I mean, everyone's been asking us this. And, you know, I'm sure when we're on TV, we'll be making our own little... Preseason predictions. See, I think I actually sort of tried to work, work this out whether there was any sort of rational or sl- slightly scientific way one could figure this out. And what I did was I came up with some complicated, let's say, algorithm, but based on certain things. And one of the factors I took in is you look at past season results. Mm-hmm. So if you look at the teams that have been successful over the past couple of seasons, you've got to, you know, you can't discount history. If you look at whether it's, you know, Premier League, Bundesliga, any of these teams. Over the course of the seasons, you know, the Bayern Munichs, the AC Milans, the Man Uniteds will be there or thereabouts in the top four spots because of that culture that they have. So you factor in, you've got to put the likes of an FC Goa, BFC, ATK Mohan Bagan, and 
you know, Chennaians and, and East Bengal even for that matter, because they've traditionally over the last, if you look at the last six seasons, always finished within that sort of, on average, they finished, you could say, top four. Mm-hmm. Then if, if you count their points per game over the last six years, and this is because, you know, the old expression, the league table never lies. It does in a short season. You can say if it's a 40-game season, you could say, yeah, the league table doesn't lie. But, you know, you can have one season can be a bit of an anomaly where one particular team does exceptionally well. You know, you can have a Leicester City, for example. But if you look at the league table of Indian football for the last six years, so whether whether a team was playing, like Bengaluru was obviously playing in the I-League prior to that, Bengal was playing in the I-League. But you look at their performances, look at their points per game, you look at their overall uh, league position. And again, you factor this. You have to say that these teams, because they've got that history of doing it, sometimes they just come out in games where they're not playing well. They come out and, you know, nick it 1-0. And then you factor how much they've spent. I think you told me that they're probably all there or thereabouts. But even there, then you know there are the teams that have spent a little bit more compared to, let's say, definitely 80K spent more than Northeast. So if you look at all those things which I just mentioned now and and the financial factor, it's not surprised that Northeast, on average, have finished bottom of those kind of tables, those cumulative tables over the last six years. Northeast have finished bottom, you know, mm-hmm. even though they finished fifth, fifth in some of the seasons. I think then you factor how many of them have retained players, both Indian as well as foreign, and coaches. And then you factor things like in which areas of the field have they got players. And this was a tough one. Again, like I said, this it's a complicated sort of methodology that I was using. But injuries are going to happen this season, and it's part and parcel. But if, like, for example, if Raul Beke was to get injured, they've got Pratik Chaudhary to cover in that position. If Juanan was to get injured, Fran Gonzalez can play as a centre-back. Eric Bartolo, Dima, Salgado, both defensive midfielders. So some teams have got two players in every position. They've got cover. Whereas you look at somebody like maybe a Hyderabad FC. They've got mm-hmm. one foreign centre-back in Oday, on India. And if he were to get injured, they don't really have anybody amongst their foreign players who could slot into that position. And then um, at the other end of the... Pratt Jalvita can play centre-back as well. He's played both a centre, uh, defensive midfielder well, as well as centre-back. I know, but he's, he's primarily he's a centre... Predominantly centre. a defensive midfielder. True. You know, it's, True. it's almost like... It's like saying Memo can play centre-back. Yeah, he can, but mm-hmm. you're not going to get the best out of him. And mm-hmm. But at the other end of the spectrum, you've got two number nines. You've got Aridane Santana as well as Fran Sandaza, is it? Who's also a, um, a number nine. A number nine. A different type of number nine. But yes, both of them are number nines. So they're two number nines. So, you know, unless you're going to play a four four two, I don't see how you're going to accommodate both of them in. And, you know, Joel Kianese is more of a wide man up, up front. And they've got two defensive midfielders in um, Ja Victor as well as uh, Luis Sastre. So you don't mm-hmm. have a number 10 in that team. You don't have an extra centre-back, you've got two number nines, so there's a little bit of sort of, you could say, imbalance in terms of um, their recruitment, whereas some of the teams have a good balance where, if, you know, they've got two players for every position, etc. So I think that can be a factor which, again, is tough to predict because if you don't get it, if you don't have injuries, you're fine. I mean, your, your first 11 is pretty strong. But the moment you have injuries in certain positions, and that no one can predict, certain teams will absolutely struggle. Also, and at least four teams have only six foreigners. You know, for there's the five designated places, seven is the max. Mm-hmm. Of course, I understand that there must be a, a budgetary constraint. Most foreigners, international players, do quite, uh, cost quite a bit. But that's going to have a major impact, don't you think so? 
Yeah, especially this year, because in the past you could say, okay, maybe they're just waiting for the right moment. They'll in January they'll go pick somebody up. But mm-hmm. you know, certain teams, if they get an injury at the wrong time of the season or early on in the season, and it's not so easy to replace a player this season because you'd have to look for somebody who's a free agent if it's out of um, before the window. Secondly, mm-hmm. then once you know you're going to spend at least a week negotiating the player's contract, then it's the matter of getting the visa. So even if everything goes like clockwork. You're looking at two weeks there. And then he comes in and 14, 15 days gone. Absolutely. Then he's got to go into a bubble. Uh, sorry, into the quarantine for 14 days. Quarantine. So you've, yeah. now, you've lost a month of this player joining your first team. And again, how is he going to be fit, match fit on you know day 31? So right. before you get ma- match fit, you're looking at probably maybe realistically at least six weeks from when the moment you sign him. And with, with there being no... You know, how do you get a reserve team match in, in this bubble environment for him to get up to speed, get to know his teammates, etc., while the league is going on? So I think mm-hmm. that that factor of the teams who've gone with one less foreigner, bringing in somebody in the middle of the season could be tricky. But there are certain things that could happen. There are certain teams that have a, an extra foreigner, you could say, like Nesta Gordillo's, from what I gather, he's registered, as in he's on the books of Hyderabad. He's in the country training, but he's not yeah. registered. Similarly, John Johnson, the eighth foreigner with ATK Mohan Bagan, he's in the country, he's training, but he's not registered with them. So, you know, maybe if a team did suffer an injury and they wanted to pick up John Johnson, he's ready and he's already in the country visa. I think he could be ready to play the very next game. There are situations where, you know, it can work to the, the advantage of, of certain teams. But I think given all the circumstances this year, I think it would be more prudent to probably go with your full quota of foreign players. And especially have cover in positions where, like crucial positions, where you only have one player in that position to get, you know, adequate cover. What do you make of the Kerala Blasters squad? You know, they've been to two finals. Ever since, not quite the performance that they wished for. Have a huge support. That's always going to grow. What do you make of their squad? I think you know because of whether it's budgetary reasons or whatever the reasons, they've had to make certain changes. Some which make sense, some which don't make much sense to me, but. You know, we'll we'll figure out at the end of the season. I think starting with the coach, they you know they lost a very good coach who they had last season. Although that you know Elko couldn't get them to the promised land, which was the playoffs. I think he, you mm-hmm. could see the team was progressing and getting better as the season progressed. And I think sometimes teams panic a little bit too much and want to stop and change. Mm-hmm. And if you look at success stories in, in other leagues, and if you if you persisted with the coach, you probably would have a better season than the previous season. And the reason I'm saying that is if, a, if, a, if you're starting at zero and a coach has brought you up to level, let's say, you know, not even, obviously not 10 on a scale of 1, 10, but a level 4, then right. you're not happy because you wanted to be at the top. But you decide, okay, we'll get rid of him and then we'll start from scratch. You're starting back from zero. If you'd retained that coach and kept some of the players that he likes to work with and feels will benefit his system and then just change the ones that he wants improvements upon, you're starting next season from level 4 or above. So you've got mm-hmm. a better chance of getting to the top rather than completely sort of breaking everything down and rebuilding. But that said, I mean, that's you know their, their choice. I think Kibu Vikunia comes with uh, great pedigree, having just won the uh, I-League. So mm-hmm. he's stylistically, you know, plays, plays good football, pretty similar to the way they were playing last season. So that's not necessarily a negative, but, you know, I just had to make my point about retention because you see what's happened at Southampton. They kept the mm-hmm. same coach that got beat 9-0 and, you know, they're flying at the top of the table. True. Um, anyway, back to the, the squad. Goalkeeping was an area where they were definitely weak. So mm-hmm. you normally look to rebuild from the back. 
They've brought in Albino Gomes, which for me is a gamble. He hasn't played for two years, if I'm not mistaken. And so there's no certainty whether he's back up to the keeper that he was when he was rise or left safe. Right. So if that doesn't work out and the injury isn't, he hasn't recovered or he's just not match sharp, he's not match fit, that could backfire because I don't think, you know, are they adequately covered in that department with Prabhsukin and to play the way the coach wants to play? I mean, they're both good goalkeepers, but to play that system of, of football, I don't think they can deal with that pressure of building up from the back and having a lot of possession of the ball. Right. I think that the two foreign defenders are very good. I think Kone and um, Costa at the back. And if they want to play that system where it's quite expansive, looking to build up from the back, you know, draw the other teams in with their possession, I think those two are comfortable. However, if he chooses to use his foreigners in other positions, then he has to opt with somebody like um, Haku. Mm-hmm. I don't think Haku is best suited for that style of play. Fullbacks, I think they've probably got they've probably got the strongest fullbacks in in the league in that department. In terms of you got Jessel, who was very successful last season. I think the most crosses for any of the fullbacks, the most assists from a fullback. He's very, very good in that position. And you've added Nishu. So Nishu can play on the left or the right. So you've definitely added strength there. And let's not forget, they still have Ruatara on their books, who was two seasons ago, he was the emerging player. So, Ruatara, who? <laughs> That's almost, you know, he's not played for so long that the emerging player of the season sounds like a, like a who? Ruatara? Uh, but he's absolutely. a fantastic and player if he gets going. If he gets going and they can get him back up to the player that he was, it's a Fantastic player, and similar to Nishu, he can play on either side. He can play on the left or at right back. So that's what that's why I sort of started off by saying I think they've got the best fullbacks in the league in terms of on paper. And then you go further up the field. I think you know impressive foreign signings in in the midfield, and I actually like the Indian lads that they have there as well. I thought Jixon did well in the games where he played, and he gives them that option if they want to play him, and then use more attacking players like Pereira um, further ahead of them. A couple of the you know, the signings have just been a bit strange. I mean, you you lose Sandesh Jingan for whatever reason, maybe, the, you know, salary cuts at the club. But then if you look at the amounts that quoted that they're paid for Nishu, it just doesn't make sense. Why not keep a player who's been with the club for that many years and is a national team starting player? And But hey, that's an option that they've, they've gone with. And similarly, I thought somebody like Sido, who, you know, was okay for them last season. But if you're going to go around and replace a lot of the players in the squad, probably maybe one of them that could have been upgraded upon. And I'm surprised because Kibo Vakuna is coming. I, I would have thought that he would have gone with uh, Joseph Betia, the one he had. Joseph Betia. With him. Yeah, Joseph Betia. He was, I thought he was fantastic for Vakuna last year, and I'm surprised he didn't bring him with him. Uh, Equally surprised and, as well. Great player. You yeah. know, you have somebody who comes in, understands what the coach wants to do, you know, has the pedigree as well. He's played at the level that a lot of uh, international players in India have. You know, even in the ISL have played, so that's a surprising move. Absolutely. Yeah, so that to me was a little bit of a, a surprise there. And you know, maybe it could be because they've got, they feel they have Sahal, they want to develop him, and in in those kind of positions, they want to sort of um, block his pathway. Um, it could, you know, that that could be behind some of the thinking of the club. They've definitely, in terms of strikers, I mean, you've lost Agbeche, um, but Hooper, by all accounts, is is a top top player, and he he could. If he can bring any of that form that he had while he was at Celtic, I think then you know could become another fan favorite like Hume was. Um, and then out wide, I think the likes of um, KP, you know, he's, he's got a lot of potential. They've got some really good young lads. And I think the one player that Vicuna did bring with him is the young Manipuri lad, 
No, number. Who, who number was, on the wing. Who was a, a Kerala Blasters player who was out on loan at Bagan. Loan. He's back. Back and he's worked with the coach. And I think the coach picked him a lot of times last season um, in the I-League. And he played in that system. He did very well for him. So I think he'll get a... I expect him to get a sort of long, a good run in with in the team and get a lot of chances. So, you know, there's a there's a mixture of promising young Indian players. But if you look at all those, with the exception of probably you know maybe Nishu, mm-hmm. there's not that much experience in those in amongst those Indian players. True, they haven't played many games. The only thing that could help these kind of inexperienced players is that they're not playing at Kochi at that stadium with all those fans. So, you know, the, the closed stadiums won't have that crowd pressure. Won't have you know, there'll still be the social media pressure if you, you know, especially for the local boys who can understand the language and, and if they choose to or ignore it or choose to pay too much attention to it, that fan pressure can still be there. But that added pressure of the 60,000 fans at the stadium when games are not going your well, could, you know, they may, might not have to deal with that. So that could be one, one benefit for having a sort of lesser experience squad. We haven't really counted Mumbai City in, in our top four. And of course, if you ask me one of the strongest squads in the ISL this season is Mumbai City. If, you know, the, the, the City group has come in, backed Sergio Lobera, gotten him you know, possibly four of the best foreigners to have played in the Indian Super League, combined them with what I feel uh, the team's done a great job in, in scouting and signing. When I say scouting, they're scouting for a lot of talent from, from the I-League as well. So it's not essentially scouting unknown talent. And, and mm-hmm. adding them to a, a fairly decent Indian squad that they had even last season. What do you think about them? To me, they seem like champ- championship contenders, Fred. Absolutely. I, mean, I think they're everyone's preseason favorites. I mean, if you if you were a betting person, I think they'd probably be on top of the list, um, the bookies list of who's going to be the ones to win it. Mm-hmm. Just simply because of the reasons you mentioned. You've got a coach who's... No, you know he's going to play attacking football, and to play that kind of football, you need certain players, and he has that. He has Murtada Fall, he has Jahu, he has Bumu, three of the players that were with him at um, at Goa, and gave him a lot of that success. And then you could, for those who the naysayers would say, yeah, but he doesn't have Koro, but you know, surely Obeche, you know, who outscored Koro last year, and the likes of um, Adam Lafondre, who was, was goal scoring exploits in Sydney. Uh, phenomenal so you've got definitely more than enough in terms of goals uh, with those two and I think they've been astute in some of the Indian signings you know picking up the likes of Farooq Chowdhury bringing him back home and you know picking up some other sort of key Indian personnel in positions where they might need cover I think that's made them mm-hmm. a team that can play his system like obviously bringing in Mandara they decided to replace Subashish. It's, okay. it's left back to left back and it's more of a left back in terms of the way Lobera wants his left back to play. Um, you know, I'm still not convinced on Mandar's defensive abilities, but I don't in this team, I don't think he has to worry so much about it. It's more about what he can offer them going forward. I think they've got everything there to win it and they'll definitely be the most exciting team to watch and they'll be contenders for sure. The only hiccup you can see is how to, how to get the balance in the team. I mean, we've seen Hernan Santana play centre-back in pre-season. Because mm-hmm. Murtada Falls was still in quarantine, would join the team late, or is it because he's going to opt to what he had to, res- you know, um, revert to at FC Goa when things weren't going so well, which was playing with two foreign centre backs. Mm-hmm. You know, he settled on Fall and Peña, and then everything was rosy after that. 
And if he starts with Santana and Fall at the back, you know, he obviously gives him that solidity and then Jao will no doubt play ahead of them and you'd expect Bomo to play given the season he's come off from and all the effort. So as soon as you put those four in the lineup, then it's only one of Lafondre and Ogbeche that can play. That, I think, is going to cause an issue just because you've got two, you know, it's almost like two alpha personalities, two top strikers and both will want to play. So I think that balance might right. be a little bit tricky. Um, and then if you do opt to say, let's find a system that can play both of them, you know, is that a four-four-two diamond? And the moment you do that, is that going away from his preferred way of playing with a four-two-three-one? So those are little question marks that you have. But you know, I think that's it's almost like it's a good headache to have as a coach. I mean, you've got you've got two good strikers. You can basically have competition for places there. I think you know, in all this conversation, we haven't even mentioned Sai Goddard, who's you know, Tottenham Hotspur product. A very good player by all accounts, and he could slot into that position as well and play centrally, maybe use Bumo out wide. So I think he's got a lot of flexibility in his squad. Um, the only other concern could be if he chooses to play with only one foreign centre-back, then who plays alongside Murtada Fall? Is it Sartak at the centre-back, or is it Valpuya, or mm-hmm. is it Metab Singh? So all three of them are relatively inexperienced at centre-back. I mean, Sartak's got plenty of experience playing at right-back and a few caps, a few games at centre-back. Um, I know Igor's team match would like to eventually see him playing as a centre-back, so I think it'd be good if he can get games there. Um, but those could be the sort of only only real concerns that you'd have in that team. Apart from that, I think they look pretty much one of the strongest teams on paper. They're the only ones to have got a Japanese-Asian uh, player. There are about 10, I think, Aussie players here. We've we've well, had a the, great experience with Japanese players. Chennai also haven't. Chennaians haven't off or gone for a Australian. They, you know, they've got the uh, Tajikistan player. Yes. 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 So then nine of them, and I think Brad Imam is not playing as a designated player. He's you know he's just by yeah. uh, Mohan Bagan. So that that makes it I think ten of those ten Aussies mm-hmm. there in the Indian Super League. That's a huge number, I think. Uh, after Spanish and Brazilian players, that would be the, the third highest number of foreign players, maybe equal to Brazilian players. Yeah, I think the, the AFC, AFC rule has made that, has, has contributed to that. And as we mentioned earlier, I mean, the actual, what they bring to the table, I mean, in terms of their competitiveness, and um, that could be the other reason. I think. Look, Japanese players have come here, have done pretty well in, in, on most occasions, and we've seen that in the I-League with the likes of uh, Katsumi Yusa, even the, the Korean players who, you know, Japan-based, the likes of Min Chol Sun, Kim Young, both did, you know, did very well um, for them, and Taisuke Matsugai. A lot of these players have done very well. I think their work rate, their work ethic, and their technical ability is something that always helped them stand out in Indian football and, um, you know, looking forward to seeing more of this young kid as well. Well then, that's about it, Brad. Uh, why don't you give us five Indian players that you're looking forward to see and maybe five of these international players that you're looking forward to see in the league. Brad, special from your end. Okay. Indian players, I think um, there's, there's quite a few. I think I'll just go um, through some of the younger ones that, that are probably going to stick out. I think... Um, I'm looking forward to seeing a lot more of Apoya from uh, Northeast United. I thought he was um, brilliant last season. Um, it's mm-hmm. one for the one for the future. Like keeping an eye on him, and mm-hmm. from one Northeast player to one former Northeast player who's now moved to 
Kettle Blasters is Puita. Mm-hmm. Um, another one that probably didn't get him as much game time last year. It'd be interesting to see if he can. And, you know, just so that I'm not only mentioning Mizo players, I'll also, <laughs> I think some of the younger lads that, because uh, I could keep going on, there's a few more um, that we'll probably look forward to seeing this year. But I think at BFC, I'm curious to see whether somebody like a Leon Augustine can, you know, step up and displace the likes of an Adanta or an Ashi mm-hmm. for them. And, and also Suresh, I hope he that kid gets a lot more uh, game time this year because I thought he was terrific. I saw a little, little bits of him in preseason, and he, he's just certainly one one for the future. I just love his just competitive nature of the way he plays. It's, just, it's, it's a pleasure to watch such defensive midfielders. Um, and then the one that I think, and I'll go out on a limb here and say my bet, this guy is going to win the uh, Emerging Player of the Year is is the guy at um, FC Goa, the midfielder, Princeton Rebello. I think from what I've seen, really, really good player. And if given the opportunity, I don't think he was given the opportunity all these years. He's been he's one that can really actually displace the likes of uh, Lenny and, and Brandon in that midfield position. Uh, and that's obviously high expectations for me, but. I think he's a really good player, one for the future. And if he gets that game time, it could be valuable for Indian national team in the future as well. That's an interesting call. Has he been playing enough uh, minutes in the preseason? He's played a lot in preseason, and I think he's obviously got valuable minutes in both Goa Pro League as well as uh, when they played in the second division. Uh, and mm-hmm. that's what I saw him playing, and he stood out for me. Um, so he's he's one. But it's a bit of a obviously you can never know how much a young player will play and whether the, the coach will give an opportunity, but. Uh, I'm hoping even things like their Champions League, AFC Champions League experience, where there's obviously less foreigners are going to play, so more opportunity for Indian players. These those kind of big games will give these. You know, it's great to have those big games for young players um, to get that experience now, and that you know it only bodes well for the national team when these players have had these kind of games at an early stage in their career. We keep that one in my, in in our minds, Fred. At the end of the season, okay. we'll come back and you know. I hope you're not putting any money on it, though. <laughs> no, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't think there are any places you can. But um, the five foreign players. Now, this is a tricky one because there's obviously so many good players that have been signed, and it's it's tough. So I'll, what I'll do is I'll go with based on what the players have said to me. Obviously, I speak to a lot of the players, at the former players and players who who are at these clubs, and mm-hmm. from their feedback in preseason, I think Pilkington at East Bengal. Mm-hmm. Is definitely going to be one um, one to make an impact, um, and I think I already mentioned. I think Stephen Taylor at um, Odisha, right? Uh, that he's going to be a player to watch, both in just leadership and what he'll bring to that uh, that team. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think it's my new favorite team now, FC Goa. Um, I think Igor Angulo is going to be a real standout. I mean, obviously, it's, again, a big call to make. He's filling in. Shoes of Koro. Koro did phenomenally well for them, but I think Igor Angulo just looks confident. He's been scoring goals in preseason for fun, and I think he'll he'll be one to um, definitely be challenging for that golden boot. And I think hot on his heels, or it'll be neck and neck between both them, will be Lafondra, just because he's playing for a team that's going to create a lot of chances, and you know the guy knows where the back of the net is. So I think those amongst the new four? players, those four. And if I'd add another one into that mix, and this is just, you know, it's a bit of a gamble 
It didn't work well for them last year when they signed a Brazilian. But they've gone with Clayton Silva this year, BFC. If he mm-hmm. if he's anywhere, if he can produce anywhere near that kind of form he did in Thailand, and he could be absolutely phenomenal. Um, so I think that's my sort of wild card that I'll throw in there. But I think the first four names are probably the the ones that um, I could. And then, like I said, I can keep going. Five is tough to stop it because I think a couple of the guys at Kerala Blasters, they've got some really good names there, the likes of Hooper and and others who could who could impress. We've heard great things like, about Chente Gomez as well, though. Yeah, which I, and these guys are. There's the good things about Gomez, uh, Noguera at, at um, FC Go. I've heard a lot of good things about him. Um, amongst the Australian contingent, Joel Kianese at Hyderabad, I've heard a lot of good things about his work rate and what he can bring to the table. And mm-hmm. as I said, I mean, what I've done so far is I've mentioned all the the names of all the foreigners who are new, but I think don't think we should just discard the ones who played here last season because I think Ogbeche still got a lot of a point to prove. I'm looking forward to seeing Aridane at, at Hyderabad because if he's fit and raring to go, you know, and now with Onwu starting for Odisha, you know, will we see the Onwu that we saw towards the end of Odisha or will we see the one that we saw at Bengaluru FC? That's a curious um, case. And, you know, so I think some of the foreigners who are returning, even Marcelino, a new lease of life at... Um, at Odisha, will we see? Will, yeah, will we see the Marcelino that we we saw in Delhi Dynamos? So mm-hmm. I think there's there's a lot to to get from from the players who are still who've been around here and got that experience. So Marcelino played wide right though uh, during his time at Odisha and cutting with his left, he he was unplayable at times. You know when we Absolutely. saw him play for Odisha. Yeah, so I think we'll. If they can get him playing in that position, and you know, let let's see if they can if, if he can get that kind of goal to game return ratio, then you know he'll actually propel them individually just up the table. They've got solidity at the back with Taylor, him scoring the goals with Onwu up front. You know that that team could be one of the dark horses. Interesting, uh, Brad. You know, we when we talk of Bengaluru, we talk about set pieces. There's a there's a set piece expert coach here or a set piece coach now with East Bengal. There are lots and lots of goals that that team score with set pieces. The reason I kept kept this as one of the last conversations that we have on this chat is uh, a team like Bengaluru last season, even in their tough times, they got they got goals from a lot of goals from set pieces. Will we see again a season where not only Bengaluru but a lot of other teams, you know, focus exclusively on set pieces. I think the ratio right now is about the number that 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 a lot of people throw is anywhere between 25 to 33% of goals scored in modern day football is out of set pieces. Yeah, that's it's actually an interesting one because football is, you know, you you've got a lot of top clubs specializing getting coaches who specialize in this department even to the extent of a throw-ins coach at uh, at Liverpool and has made an impact. And there was an interesting chat amongst coaches recently where Someone said, "Where if thirty-three percent of your goals are coming from set pieces, should you spend thirty-three percent of your training sessions mm-hmm. working on set pieces?" So basically, like one in three. If you've got six training sessions in the week, should two of those be on set pieces? If, because it makes such an important outcome to the to the game. And mm-hmm. one thing that could happen this season, Nicholas, because normally you want to do set pieces, and you normally, typically as coaches, you do it the day before the game right. when you have a lighter session. 
And if you're traveling the day before a game, sometimes you don't want to do it because, for example, the opposition is spying on you. If you're right. going to Calcutta and you're doing this, your set, set pieces at that ground next to Salt Lake, the opposition's in the hotel across the road where they can see it. And this is not uncommon. So a lot of people choose to do it at their own home ground because you don't want to practice. Whereas now with everyone having their own individual training grounds and there's no travel or no flight travel to the matches, maybe there will be more opportunities to work on set pieces. So will we see? I mean, could that be one of the new curved balls that has thrown because of COVID and because of this whole unique bubble situation? Will we get more set piece goals because of the whole bubble environment where teams you know, focusing on on these aspects to give them that little edge over somebody else. Because you have, you know, you have everyone's in an enclosed room, so maybe you can do a lot of video work inside the hotel, um, you know, different kind of scenarios where you can work on certain things, um, where you sit and watch a game together and you notice something and you think, okay, let's try this. So that could be something that, you know, I won't be surprised if there is a significant increase in the number of set-piece goals this season. Interesting. Well, Brad, as always, absolute pleasure speaking to you. Thanks for taking this time out. Anything else as a parting, you know, thought for the upcoming ISL season? It starts uh, 20th, 20th November. We, of course, will see a lot of you on television. But anything else from your end that you might want to share with us? Um, there's, there's a lot. Of, we've, we've covered a lot already. I think um, there's just a couple of new, new changes. I mean, we talked about a lot of things. But I think one other thing that can impact outcome of individual matches um, and obviously that can then later have an impact in the league at the end is this this, this season because of the unique circumstances you have nine subs on the bench and yes. you can use five of them and you can use five so at any point the fact that you can make five substitutions you're pretty much changing half of your outfield if you assume you won't change the goalkeeper now because everyone's has Indian goalkeepers you can literally change half your team um, at any point or, or three different points in the game Four if you include halftime. So okay. the teams with good strength and depth or the teams that avoid a lot of the injuries, if they play that those substitution well, it's almost like become a real chess game now. Like how well do you use your subs? Both in terms of that individual game management and in terms of just fatigue management, knowing what next game's coming up. And um, and you know, whether you can you can completely tactically change it, you can go from whether you play four at the back or three at the back just by making a couple of changes. In the past, it would have been tricky, but now when you can use five subs, maybe it's a lot easier to just change the entire way a team plays. So I think that could be the little joker in the back this season. Interesting one. You know, set pieces, 33%, 30-33%, five changes, half the team gone. Lots and lots of numbers with retentions. It is the number game. I, you know, I found it very fascinating when you were talking about experience in the league. I think a book that both of us kind of, you know, talk a lot about soconomics. It says in the big tournaments, what essentially counts is the big tournament form, and that you only get by playing the tournament over and over again. Of course, this is the league. They were talking about the World Cup there, and why only a few teams tend to win the World Cup over and over again. Yep. But thank you so much, Prad, for, for taking this time out again. As always, we've, we've, we've kind of gone you know, much overboard with the time that we spend usually on our episodes. But I think we could go on for another couple of hours if, if, uh, if we didn't have to go to sleep, of course. <laughs> uh, but yeah. thank you so much. It's always great pleasure speaking to you. And I look forward to... Is it maybe a mid-season when, review. Maybe a mid-season review or maybe Princeton getting the, the emerging player of the season. That's the one I'm looking forward to most now. <laughs> okay. Cheers.
Take care, Prad. Thank you. And everybody, okay, stay safe. Thanks for joining us. This is the Added Thank Time you. Show. Thank you.